Well, this morning a great battle is going on between Federer and Nadal for the Wimbledon Championship. I thank God for TiVo. I'm recording it. Please don't tell me if it's over already. I don't want to know. The paper yesterday had the title in this great competition because these guys have met before. The title of the sports page was, And So They Meet Again. And that's exactly what's going to be happening with the Lord as He goes before Pharaoh. And so they meet again. In the Wimbledon, there will be only one champion. There will be one who will reign today. There will be one who will give him the crown, the title of Wimbledon champ until the next year. And this morning, as we look into Exodus 7, Moses will once again go before Pharaoh in the strength of the Lord to present who God is, that He is I Am. And there will be only one champion in this battle. And I think we know the outcome of the story. There will be one who will reign supreme. And his name is Yahweh. I am. He is God Almighty. He is our God that we serve. Last week as we left Moses, he was pouring out excuses as to why he couldn't go and see Pharaoh. Reasons why he couldn't serve the Lord. His faltering lips and he wasn't eloquent. He didn't know how and he didn't have the gifts. And now we're going to see God respond to Moses. Chapter 7. Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh. And your brother Aaron will be your prophet. And you are to say everything I command you. And your brother Aaron is to tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go out of his country. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my miraculous signs and wonders in Egypt, he will not listen to you. And then I will lay my hand on Egypt with a mighty axe of judgment, and I will bring out my divisions, my people, the Israelites. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the Israelites out of it. And Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord had commanded them. Moses was 80 years old and Aaron was 83 when they spoke to Pharaoh. I love this, that God enters into Moses' life in chapter 7. After Moses had been struggling with why he shouldn't go, and he offered up all this complaining and excuses, And then we see in the beginning, and then God spoke. And here's what God said. It reminds me of God with Job. When Job laid out all of his arguments before God. And God's response to Job, and the Scriptures finally say after Job kept going on and on, it says, and God spoke. Hey, Job. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the world? Do you realize who I am? Where were you when I set all the creatures and I did the stars in the sky? Where were you, Job? 
you know what, if we have issues, if we have things that are hard, if we have complaints, struggles, the one place that God is wanting us to come is before Him. We don't take them to everybody else. They can't fix the problem necessarily. But our God can. And the thing I love about the Lord, what He shows here, is Moses continues to just struggle with his flesh and, and not feeling like he can do it and just kind of resisting what God is doing is that God listens as he does to you and me. He is patient. He is full of grace. So as you struggle with what's going on in your day, you go before the Lord and say, God, here it is. And God listens. But we cannot miss. And then it said, God spoke. God said. He actually responded to And that's the question for you and me, isn't it? Are we willing to listen after we have laid out our complaints, our struggles before the Lord? Do we actually be still and know that He is God and say, God, speak to me? Are you hearing Him say, Hey, I know what's going on. I love you right where you're at. Hey, I know you're struggling and you have physical limitations and I know that, but I want to use you. Will you trust me for that? I know that you're having a hard time at work and you're not sure how it's all going to come together. Do you hear what I'm saying about how I want you to respond to your boss, to your employees? God speaks. Do we listen? And He speaks to Moses and He says, Moses, I want you to go... And I am going to make you like God unto Pharaoh. Literally in the Hebrew it says he's going to think you are God. He's going to think that you are this God of the Hebrews. He will see you as God. And we go, whoa, 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 back up. What's going on here? Moses is God's chosen instrument to come before Pharaoh. See, Pharaoh thinks he's all that. He thinks that he is a God, doesn't he? That he has become a God in the flesh and he is the one who speaks to the people as a God. And so the Lord is sending Moses in that he will go as God's chosen instrument. He will be his prophet, the one that represents the Lord, Yahweh. And God himself is speaking and acting through Moses. Again, Pharaoh stands there as one of the incarnations of one of the gods. So they believed. And as Moses shows up, he became God to Pharaoh. And now there was a challenge that was assumed. And so they meet again. And this time Pharaoh knows that there is a powerful God that he is dealing with. Moses obviously was not God. We all know that. Moses knew it. But to Pharaoh he was. God with skin on. Do you understand, you know, one of the things that's happening in the book of Exodus is this. That Moses is a Christ type. He is one who reflects the soon-to-be Christ. And so we see Moses, the deliverer, the redeemer, the shepherd, the one who will stand for us. 
He is like who Christ will be. And Christ is. The scriptures teach us that Christ is fully revealed. As he's revealed in the flesh, we, he stands in the place of who God is. He represents, he is the image of the invisible God, Colossians teaches us. Hebrews says he is the exact representation of his being. That the Lord Jesus truly was God, but he came in the flesh. Why? So that you and I can understand the character, the nature of great I am, God, Yahweh. That we would understand the Father through Jesus Christ. That we would see what His character is like through the love of Christ. And now here's what happens for you and me, dear saints. He says of us, and we now are ambassadors of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians teaches us. We are now ambassadors and says this, as though we are speaking the very words of God to those who need to hear. We know we're not God, but we are a reflection of. We are an image. You may be the only Jesus people know. Do you know what I mean? Because of your life and your love. And so they see this character of Jesus coming through you. And so God sends Moses before Pharaoh and he sees him as this almighty, this creator God. He will be the one. He is the power. He is the strength. And we are the ones to go. And I love, I love this book of Exodus because it's so full of humanity. You go, what's God been doing with Moses in all this time? The whole time, again, Moses is, is kind of into himself. He's kind of thinking, I've got to do all these things. And God is helping Moses with his issue where he needs to strip away some things in Moses' life, and he's going to strip away some things in the life of the Egyptians. And that's what really this chapter is about. And as we get on into chapter 8, we look at the plagues. I want you to see something very clearly. That God is going to come in, and he will indeed strip away anything that comes in place, that tries to replace who he is who he is in our lives. We're going to see that with Moses' life. We're going to see that as the Egyptians have idols before them. And so I hope we can take a look at ourselves this morning and go, what is it that God is trying to strip away? Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew me. I want to be like you. And sometimes the only way he can do that is by stripping away that which interferes that which gets in the way of who he is. Moses is going, but Lord, when I go before Pharaoh, when, uh, but I speak with faltering lips, but I went before the Israelites and, and they didn't listen to me. And it's all me, God. It's all about me. And then God says, this is what I am going to do. I'm the one who's doing the doing. I shared with you a while ago that Moses spent 40 years in Egypt learning to be everything. He was to be the next ruler. He was one who was with great authority and power. And then God sent him off and he ended up in Midian. And he learned 40 years as a shepherd to be nothing. And then now he will begin his life with the Israelites, leading them 
And he will learn that God is everything. Everything. Is that true for us? That he is everything for us. He is the air I breathe, the song goes. He is my sustenance, my life. But what I love about Moses is that he finally learned to submit himself to the Lord. You know what? The desert was worth it. We hate going there. But he learned to realize that it's the Lord and the Lord alone. He had been fighting God the whole way, every inch. And then we see in verse 6, it says, And Moses and Aaron did exactly, did just what the Lord had commanded them. Do you understand? That's with emphasis in the Hebrew. They did it all. They, the Lord spoke and they finally said, Okay, I'm going to respond to you, O Lord. Jesus says, If you love me, if you really love me, you don't just give me lip service. If you love me, you will obey my commands. So I think Moses is finally falling in love with God. I'll do it. I will do it. I will listen to everything that you say. And I will go. This is what is called New Covenant life. That Moses, as a humble servant, came before the Lord and said, Here I am. And God stripped away in the, any of the confidence where he's saying, hey, what, I have to do this and my faltering lips and I, I, I. And that confidence in that somehow I have to perform... And the confidence was placed on the Lord. Is this where your confidence and my confidence is placed? I can't figure out my work situation. I don't know how I'm going to deal with things that are just failing miserably. My family is struggling. And somehow, you know, especially a lot of times as dads, we go, I've got to figure this out. I'm supposed to, to lead this family in the Lord and I don't get it. Is our confidence in somehow us doing it? Or is our confidence in God who says, I will lead you through this. Listen to me. Let me teach you how to love your family better. Let me teach you how to care for those at your work. And so Moses is stripped and his confidence now lies upon the Lord and he knows he's broken. And that again is what is called New Covenant. You know what? Over the years, as we talk about New Covenant in this church, I've come to find that most people really don't quite know what it is. We, do, we throw it out there a lot. It's kind of a theological term, and we live in the New Covenant. But what is it? What does it mean to actually live in New Covenant? And what is New Covenant anyway? Because we say as a church that we are a New Covenant church. We, we live with this. And so I just want to remind you what it is. Or maybe for the first time that you would understand what we're saying when we talk about New Covenant. 2 Corinthians 3. Such confidence as this is ours through Christ before God. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but that our competence comes from God. And it goes on in 4.7 of Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, and we have this treasure in jars of clay, these broken earthen vessels. That's you and me. Why? That treasure, Jesus Christ. 
to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. That's New Covenant. That it doesn't weigh on us. That God frees us up, that we would put our confidence in Him, and He goes, okay, I want to use you now. You know what the joy is of just being, one of the things of living this for me as a pastor? You know, again, every Sunday you come up here and you go, okay, I mean, I'm pretty vulnerable. I'm kind of exposed. Here I am. It's just me and then all these faces looking this way. And somehow I have to make things happen. Somehow I have to have a good enough sermon. And God's going, whoa, 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 back up the boat. Rod, I want to use you as a broken vessel that this all-surpassing power would come through and that all the glory would go to me, to Yahweh. Jesus. And so I can live in that freedom, which is I'm going to study hard. I'm going to be a faithful steward of the word. But every week when I get up here, that it's God who works through me through his Holy Spirit to touch your hearts. I can't change your hearts. It's only the work of the Holy Spirit. As you go and minister, as you share your life, we do this in brokenness. We do this with the power of God working in us. But let me remind you of something, which is this. The Lord says, just go. Be faithful. Just show up. Get there. Get to that place where you go, I don't know how it's going to work. I was talking with some of my dear sisters who went to Guatemala, and they just went to Guatemala. They didn't know what God was going to do there. And they showed up and ministered to children and they, and they built on this church and, 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 and they just showed up and, and the love of God just poured out. And as they took steps of faith and, and go, where should I minister today? People were just loved by them. And we'll look forward to the good reports that we hear from our team in Guatemala. Just show up in the lives of children over to your neighbor's house, wherever it might be that we would show up and let God work through us and we are not competent of anything in ourselves. And that we would get over what success we think should look like. Do you know what I'm saying? Success in the church. Oh, all the numbers. We have a certain amount of numbers. Look at all the converts coming to Jesus. Look how many baptisms. Look how many, look how many. Man, I live in fear if that's how we live. Success based on the world. We need to know that success changes. We need to know that any spiritual results are always beyond our human control. Aren't they? When you go and share your life with your neighbor and you share the love of Jesus, and you say, I just want to share the good news, and if you think that's dependent upon you, that you're going to change that person's heart, there's this whole spiritual battle going on. There is the God of the universe waging war against the enemy who cares about these souls. And God is saying, I'm the one who's doing the work, but I want you to be my servant to go forth. And I want you to do it in all your mess and all your brokenness. And we let the truth be known, but we're not responsible for the response. As Moses goes before Pharaoh... Is he the one who can change Pharaoh's heart? No. 
And God actually tells them it's not going to be changed. It's a hard heart. Who would want to show up on an evangelism deal like that? Hey, let me tell you about the love of God. I know you're not going to respond, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Here's what God's doing. Doesn't seem like a fair deal. But what's going to happen in all this is God is going to reveal himself through Pharaoh's hard heart so that all may know. Here's the other thing I love about this chapter. At the very end in verse 6, and it says this. It says, And Moses was 80 years old when he began his ministry. Hey, elderly saints, listen up right now. Listen clearly. God is not done with you yet. Not by any means is he finished with you. You have all of this life to offer. You have all of this life in the Lord to bring. And may you never for one second think that you are finished with what God has for you here. May you never get to the place where I've served my time. You know what? Here's the truth about our bodies. Man, they, they get old and they get tired. The muscles don't work like they used to. There's going to be limitations. That's true. There's going to be mornings where you wake up where it's like, I'm going nowhere but staying in this bed. Then pray away, is what I say. God is not finished with you. He has just begun. And let me also say this. We need you. I need you. Look at these generations here. They need you. Who are we supposed to look to? Truly. Who are we supposed to look to, if not you, on how to live a godly life? Who are we supposed to look to when we go, how did you walk through life like this? How do you handle this in the strength of the Lord? Who are we to turn to, if not you? God is not finished with you. And thank you, too, for your life of ministry here, for your life of serving with families and and with our church, and your prayer warriors. But don't think that you are done. Eighty years old, and he was just beginning. God is your strength. Everything is possible with God. He is the one who is using you. And so he tells Moses, go now. And take that step of faith in your brokenness. And Moses is a humble servant, he goes. There are times, I know, for all of us where God needs to strip away our self-confidence. Man, you know, you guys are a talented bunch. you got a lot of things going for you. And the truth is we tend to bank on those things. And God will strip that away and say, would you put your confidence and your life in me? And so Moses goes, and now he enters in with Pharaoh, this encounter, the tennis match which is going on, where there will be a victor, and his name will be Yahweh. And Moses shows up with Aaron, his prophet, and this was understood very well in the Egyptian culture, because Pharaoh, Pharaoh was the man. He was God. He always had distance from the low people, and so he always had a prophet who spoke for Pharaoh. Now Moses shows up, in the image of God, and he looks as God to Pharaoh. And Moses has his prophet. 
Aaron, and he'll understand this full well. There is a battle that is about to take place. A battle for authority. A battle for who is in charge. And so Aaron speaks for Moses. And now comes this encounter before Pharaoh and Moses and their prophets. And this great battle is waging in the heavens. You can see it all going on. And then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, when Pharaoh says to you, perform a miracle, then say to Aaron, take your staff and throw it down before Pharaoh. And it will become a snake. And so Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and they did just as the Lord commanded. And they threw his staff down in front of Pharaoh and the officials and it became a snake. And when Pharaoh summoned his wise men and sorcerers, the Egyptian magicians, they did the same thing by their secret arts that they had. And each one they threw down their staff and it became a snake. But Aaron's staff, and I love this, swallowed up their staffs. And yet Pharaoh's heart became hard and he would not listen to them, just as the Lord had said. There was an incredible history in Egypt about snakes. Are you afraid of snakes? Most of us probably are. My little boys, they seem to love to find them and, you know, throw them at mom and mom screams. And, and I'm not, I used to be, when I was a little kid in our backyard in Half Moon Bay, we just had hundreds of snakes and there'd be all this kind of wood in the back and you lift up the wood and there, there would just be like seriously like 20 snakes and a gardener snakes and some, some big gopher snakes. And we just loved to catch them and I thought they were so cool. But there's also a big fear of snakes. You know, we watch out for the rattlers here in town. And so the Egyptian culture was inundated with this ideology of snakes and they, they feared them and they also gave them reverence. And so they had all kinds of gods that belonged to the snake. I'll show you a couple images of some of the gods that they worshipped. There was a god named Apophis who was actually an evil snake god and they feared him that he'd come after. But they had to, to battle that. This was Wadget. Wadget was the snake goddess who had kind of a, a feline face and, and a feline image. But out of her head came the snake. And she was protector of for the people. And people would wear little Wadget bracelets and Wadget necklaces to rid evil spirits and, 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 and in case they don't get a snake bite. And so all of this was going through. And so what happens is, is as they come and as we see the scene, you see it all around snakes and all that's going on in Egypt. And for the cultural mind of Egypt, it was a huge deal. And then all of a sudden, Aaron throws down his snake. And typically in the Hebrew, the word for serpent is nakash. It just means a snake, a serpent. But this is tanin. It says he throws it down, and it has this idea of it's a massive reptile. Some have thought maybe a crocodile because they were so big in the Egyptian Nile at the time. But later on in Scripture, we see the same word tanin to represent cobra, the most fierce and the most venomous. Look at Pharaoh. I want you to understand something about what the snake meant for Pharaoh. It meant absolute power and authority. And that he was the one who had power and authority over all of the snakes. And look at, look at his image. It's like a snake. It's like a cobra reared up, ready to strike. And at the top of his headdress is Wadget, the snake goddess. And what he's saying very clearly is, 
I am the one in control of all that you fear. I am in control of all the other gods. I am the one who is most powerful. And so when Moses and Aaron come and they throw down the snake, guess what's challenged? All of Pharaoh's power and authority. God goes right to the gut. He doesn't play around. I throw down your snake and I swallow up. The Egyptian mind knew this. To swallow up meant that you take all of their life source, you take all of their power. And so the image that God is doing as the snake is thrown down is Tanin, the most powerful, has swallowed up your authority. You are not in charge. You're not in control. You are not the one who is most powerful. You are done with. And that word to swallow, you know what we're going to see as the Egyptians flee and as, as, the, or as the Hebrews flee and the Egyptians come after and they're in the Red Sea and they're going after and the walls of the Red Sea are there and all of a sudden it comes crashing down and it wipes out the Egyptian army. Guess what? It says in the Hebrew, and they were swallowed up. God says, I'm giving you signs and wonders so that you will know that I am God. I'm showing you very clearly, and here is a mark. I swallow you up, and you will be swallowed up, because I am the Lord God Almighty. I am the one who is most powerful. I am Yahweh. And so you, Pharaoh, when you think that your snake power is everything, think again. And Jesus confronts them head on. And so these magicians show up and they throw down their little snakes. You know, it's amazing how Satan works. The Scriptures teach us in Second Thessalonians, the work of Satan is displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles and wonders. Satan can only corrupt. He can never create. All throughout the world we see a corruption of all that is good. God creates beautiful things. Satan corrupts them. He tries to do an image of them. But God swallows that up. Pharaoh had all this power and authority. And God goes right to the source and says, you're done. It's over. What does God need to strip away in our lives? And sometimes it is. It's power. It's authority for us. Are some of you bigwigs? I mean, literally, that you are big players in this world. That you are in charge of great companies. That you are responsible for all kinds of people. That you do have incredible power. The question I think God gets at for all of us is, is do we love it? Do we love that sense of power? Is it become our identity? Is it something we look forward to? Do we think we are the one in control? Do we think we are better than? And this just doesn't play out with the big corporate world. This can play out in a very simple environment. Let's say we go to a restaurant today. We're the one paying for the meal. How do you treat that waiter or waitress? Hey, look at me. Your tip is dependent 
upon how good it is. I'm in control. I'm in power. I'll treat you as I will. Do sometimes when maybe we're not successful at work, we come into the home and we try to lay a power trip there over our children, over our wives? I have control. And I want everybody to know about it. It plays out in a lot of different arenas. And you know what? Sometimes we love to go there. And God is saying, hey, turn this all over to me. If you love it, if it's your identity, if we're living for it, God is patient and His grace is wanting to set, it, set us free from that. And He wants us to set it at His feet. And so today I want you to think about, and really even as you go out to a restaurant, like, Lord, help me to be humble. This person is serving me. I want to know their name. I want to find out how they're doing today. How about when you go into the corporate world this week, tomorrow? that you take that power or that authority and you bless your subordinates, you encourage them, maybe you help others to succeed. You get over yourself. Maybe you now become a light in a world that is focused on self alone. God will swallow that if we don't humbly release it. Because there shall be no other gods before me. That's who God is. Because He wants to create in us a clean heart. A heart that is pure and worships Him alone. And God will swallow it up. Death has not been swallowed up. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Thanks be to God, He has given us victory in Jesus Christ. And God will make Himself known and He will reveal Himself. And so Moses comes before Pharaoh and he attacks all that he thinks he is to show that I am. And the Scriptures say something kind of hard. It's a little confusing. It says, and God hardened Pharaoh's heart. We're like, well, that doesn't seem fair. I thought God allowed us to choose. How can that play out? What we saw before when Moses went before Pharaoh, do you remember his response? What God? I don't know this God. I'm not going to let the people go and worship Him. You're going to actually have harder labor. Who is this God? Hazak is the Hebrew, and it means a heart that is hardened and heavy. And it's in the present form, which means that it's already... Hard. It's a heart that is hard. A heart that is chosen to reject. And God says, I'm going to use this hard heart to slowly, powerfully strip away every idol that you have. He says, I will reveal to the Egyptians through my mighty hand that I am God. And I'm going to use Pharaoh and his hardened heart so that they will see a heart that is callous, a heart that won't receive truth, a heart that won't listen, a heart that is not attentive, a heart that has no eyes for what is right and true. The Scriptures teach us in 2 Thessalonians that we are condemned to our own depravity. 
God knowing the ultimate outcome of our choice of who we are and that our hearts are turned over to our own depravity. And so they become hard and they don't respond anymore. And God is stripping away and stripping away. And now he goes for the final in this chapter. Moses goes down. Pharaoh doesn't listen because of his hard heart. They knew that was going to happen. And now they go down. And Moses goes down to the Nile where Pharaoh is. And they would go early in the morning to give worship to the gods of the Nile. You've got to understand something about the Nile. It truly is kind of like petroleum for us. What if all of the petroleum factories were shut down? It actually happened in Britain in 2000. There was a big truckers deal where they, they blockaded the petroleum factories. And the whole country of Great Britain almost shut down. It almost had an uh, economic collapse. Because their whole sustenance and being and, and their life and, and functioning and getting goods back and forth was based on petroleum. So is the Nile. Everything about who Egypt was was dependent upon the Nile and they had all kinds of gods that they would worship and bring honor to. And so Pharaoh goes down in the morning again, which was typical, to bring worship to these gods. We have a few images. This is Osiris. You would often see pictures of Osiris and and his veins going through would be the Nile. His blood was the Nile. He brought life. Canum. He was the great protector of the Nile. And so again, they raised praise and honor to this bull. This one is Hoppy. It was a man actually with female parts as pregnant belly and, and, and female parts that would bless and nurture and, and bring overflow and abundance. And they gave praise to Hoppy and they'd actually sing praise. They would say, Hoppy, everything has come from you and you alone and Tanum and Torah, and there's all kinds of God. This one looks like a platypus, Torah, in the waters. You wonder where they get these images. And so Moses goes down as they continue to worship the Nile gods. Everything, it is their sustenance, it is their life source, it is everything. And he says, Pharaoh, let my people go, is what God Almighty says. And Pharaoh doesn't listen again. If you don't let my people go, do you understand? God's message has been the same all along, hasn't it? Let my people go. I want to free them. I want them to have life. I want them to come worship me. His message never changes. I have given my son for you. The way to have life and salvation is through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. There is no other name by which you are saved. The message never changes. God doesn't give in to meet Pharaoh. Let my people go. Otherwise, there will be blood that will fill the Nile. It will go into everything. It talks about the wood and the stone. Actually, we're not sure if those are the pots, but we know that, we know that a lot of the idols were made out of wood and stone. And so every day they would go and clean the idols. So can you imagine these idols just covered with blood and not ceasing? And it went on for a week. Let my people go. And can you imagine as the Nile turned to blood, 
the imagery that came back of all the Hebrew children that were killed and their blood was spilled, innocent blood, into the Nile. Moses was spared. I will strip away everything that you think is your life source because I want you to understand that I am your life source. And each and every one of us, each and every one of us, we draw from different rivers, don't we? And we don't necessarily do it all the time, but there are times where we go, ah, this is what sustains me. My work position. I'm good at this. My family life. This is what I'm successful at. This is what I draw life from. My children. My... It could be anything. Now, there's great joy in those things, but is it our life source? Is it what sustains us? And God says, I am taking that out of the picture. You know what? God is faithful to us. He is a covenant-keeping God. We talked about that before. I am your God. You will be my people. When you say that I want to follow Jesus Christ, what you're saying is, I will obey Him and I want to live for Him. And what He is saying is, well, I know that. But there are times that you're drinking out of the Nile. And you're putting other things before me and I will refine you. I will strip that away. Are we going to allow God to do that refining work in our lives? And I think each of us has to ask that question. Am I like Pharaoh? Here is God trying to create in me a clean heart. Here is God trying to be faithful. And, and He doesn't want us enslaved to this idolatry, to this sin that is controlling our lives. And it actually says of Pharaoh, it says he gave no concern to it. His heart was hard. And I beg God for us that as God is doing His work in each and every one of us, that we aren't turning away and we have no concern. The blood is spilling out and so what? God is calling us to repentance. God is calling us to have life in Him. He will strip away all that is taking over as our life source. He wants to bring us back to Him. And so this morning, may we allow Him to do that. And like Jesus said to the woman at the well, hey, you know what? There's more. Come to me. I am like a bubbling brook that overflows. Come drink of me. I never cease. I am constantly overflowing. Come drink and have life in me. Because I am God. And there alone you will find life. May we drink from that well this morning. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, I just ask you, Father, to, to forgive us. Forgive us, Father, for thinking that uh, we can gain life anywhere else but in you. And Lord Jesus, we long to be living for you. We want to serve you. We want to, to be available to you. And so help us in our weakness. Help us get over ourselves. Lord, forgive us when we think we're better than others. And Lord, even today that we would 
we would just treat those who serve us with dignity and respect and we would, we would consider others better than ourselves, that we would humbly, humbly love others. And Lord, again, if we are looking for life source anywhere else, would you strip that away? That scares us because I know that that means you refine us. But Lord, create in us a clean heart, O oh God. May we be truly like you. In your precious name, amen.